Hey, you in South Carolina? Columbia, specifically? You want to watch the results of the primary with me? Well, I'm still going to be in South Carolina. I'm going to be in Columbia. I'm going to be at the British Bulldog Pub at 5 p.m. Saturday, February 24th. We're going to watch the results together. We're going to watch uh, uh, Nikki Haley probably lose to Donald Trump or the greatest upset in history. That is the British Bulldog Pub, 1,220 Bower Parkway, E10, Columbia, South Carolina, 5 p.m. to watch the results. British Bulldog Pub, see you there. On this edition of the program, live from South Carolina, it's a trip to the Trump rally. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, V and Craig. In Rock Hill, South Carolina, a town 15 minutes south of Charlotte, North Carolina, is Winthrop University. Winthrop University has a coliseum where they play college basketball games and have graduations and things that college stadiums have. But in the parking lot of that facility on Friday, February 23rd, there was... 6,000 people. 6,000 people in a parking lot. 6,000 people spitting dip and dropping zins. Lots of families. One that was next to me had three girls and one boy and a stroller that I have no idea how they got in to the facility, let alone how they managed to wrangle a family of five during the hours-long runtime, 6,000 people that were filled with barely repressed joy. 6,000 people that were delighted when Marjorie Taylor Greene and Byron Donald came to shake their hand. 6,000 people that were largely clad in Trump merch. Merch from the 16 run, merch from the 2020 run, and merch that was being sold in line. When I tell you that Trump merch is a massive, massive, unregulated business, I am not kidding. Every accessory you can possibly have being sold by people that are very used to giving this sales pitch. They've got rhymes, they've got jingles, and they've got your item in any color you'd want, provided those colors are red, white, blue, or black. There are hashtag FJB pins, Trump 2024 flags as capes, and many, many, many red hats. USA! 
Chit-chat is idle. USA chants break out periodically. The weather is brisk, but aside from a few drops of rain, it holds off. And trust me, everybody is very, very thankful. Dotting the hills leading up to the Coliseum are massive Trump 2024 flags. We're talking the size of flags that you see outside of Texas car dealerships. The media presence is just as thick as ever at a Trump event. One reporter repeatedly records an establishing shot and live narration with his cameraman. They're speaking German, I think. A high wind blows the blue media bracelets off the check-in table. At about one, the line starts moving. I'm settled in my seat by 2.15. This is the first time that I have ever experienced a Trump rally from the crowd. So why am I doing it this way? Why aren't I in the media pen like all the other times that I've covered Trump rallies? Well, as I've mentioned a few times, this year's media coverage for the races that are happening right now have been really, really stingy. It hasn't been like 2020 where there were so many candidates running that anybody getting any kind of media attention was something that they welcomed. Both Nikki Haley and the Trump campaign have either outright not gotten back to me for media credentials or in the Trump campaign's case, denied me every single time I've asked despite the fact that I've gotten credentialed from them plenty of times. I don't really know what's different, but I knew I had to see the man this time. He doesn't do as many rallies as he once did, but with a big win and a likely knockout blow of Nikki Haley on the horizon, I was extraordinarily curious to see what the mood and performance was like. The arena setup is full of seats. This is different than other Trump rallies in the past, which were dominated by an endless standing room only MAGA mosh pit. Even the area right in front of the stage is lined with chairs. And considering I had been in line since 11 o'clock in the morning, this is welcome. Donald Trump is going to win South Carolina. Normally, This is the episode where I make a prediction, and then I'll try to justify it. But this isn't going to be a close contest. And you know it's not going to be a close contest because Nikki Haley has all but conceded a blowout in her home state. On Wednesday, Haley held a press conference in which she teased to the media would be, quote, about the state of the race. This, rightly led to speculation that she was going to drop out to avoid being blown out. Largely because the real state of the race is that her campaign died in the slush of New Hampshire when she couldn't capitalize on Chris Christie clearing the lane for her. But instead, Nikki opened her speech by chiding the media for assuming this would be a dropout speech. A cynical game of peekaboo 
even for politics. I've said this a million times on this show. All power is future power. And this is the reason that you normally drop out before you lose in a state you previously won, especially if it's your home state. It's an election day version of the adage, it's better to let everyone think you're an idiot instead of opening your mouth and removing all doubt. If you want a future that involves winning with the voters that know you best, it's probably best not to show them the opposite. That hasn't stopped her from trying. The commercials that I am watching on this silent television are mostly for Nikki. One that slams Trump and Biden as ancient old guard and one that touts her record as a popular governor. Trump is running the same ad about Nikki going after your Social Security that she ran in New Hampshire. Now, here's one of the strange things that's happened enough times it can be said of this primary. Trump 24 is an issues-oriented campaign, while his opposition tends to play on emotion. And so, with that, here's my prediction. Trump will win by 27% on the dot. And it will be the knockout blow he seeks. But it will not end anything as promised by Nikki Haley in that Wednesday bait-and-switch press conference, she is going to march on to Super Tuesday no matter what happens. Super Tuesday is when the fattest delegate halls are in play, specifically California and Texas. As the Trump campaign blasted out this week, it will only take a week after that to mathematically knock Nikki Haley out of contention. But... Nevertheless, she persists. As I was sitting down in Winthrop Coliseum, I got the following text message, and I read verbatim. Justin, it's Nikki Haley. I have an important message I need to share with you before you vote on March 5th. I'm running for president because we have a country to save. That's why I refuse to quit. That's why after Saturday's primary in South Carolina, I'll still be running for president, and I ask that you stand with me. I ask you to see the America I see and remember that we can still unite and move forward together, not with anger, not with fear, but with faith and hope, like we've done before. We have a chance to finally leave the past behind and forge a new American future, but I need you to get out and vote on or before March 5th. I'm campaigning every day until the last person votes because I believe in a better America and a brighter future for our kids. I believe you deserve a choice in this election, a choice between more of the same, more of the drama and the chaos of the past, or a new path forward with a new generation of leadership. I can't do this without your support. I'm asking for you to vote for me on or before Tuesday, March 5th. Please head to NikkiHaley.com slash Texas to find everything that you need to learn how to vote. We've got a country to save. Let's do this. My very best. Nikki Haley. Text stopped to stop. I'm already getting this as a Texas resident. She's going to go until March 5th. 
And it doesn't matter how embarrassing tomorrow is. The energy in the audience of the Winthrop Coliseum is different than the previous two Trump rallies I've covered. Four years ago, it was a party in Las Vegas. The Democrats at that point were at each other's throats. The Iowa caucus had been a disaster. The national polling frontrunner Joe Biden had his electoral teeth kicked in not once but twice, and it looked plausible Trump would waltz to a second term on the back of an exceptional economy. Ah, but those sweet summer MAGA children could never imagine what was to come. The virus, the lockdowns, the Fauci, the the economic cratering, and the ultimate disappointment in November. The second Trump rally that I covered was after the general election in Dalton, Georgia. Trump was allegedly stumping for two Georgia senators in a runoff. In reality, it was a laundry list of complaints that would come to a head the day after that event on January 6th. The mood was jagged, distrustful, bitter, hopeless. And both of the candidates that he was allegedly there to draw attention to lost. But the operation is more professional now. The staples are there. The MAGA all-star speeches, the Boomer Jams playlist, red, white, and blue bunting. They just happen on time now. Less improv, more precision. It's Comic-Con after Hollywood realized it was a marketing opportunity. The imperfections that defined it have been frozen and polished. It's the same, but sleeker. I sit next to a man with white hair and beard topped with a MAGA hat. He'd never been to a political event before in his life. It's something that I usually hear at these events when I talk to people. I tell him that Trump rallies are unlike any other political event that he could go to, which is true. And immediately... The program begins with Pastor Mark Burns. Well, hello, South Carolina! Listen, let me ask you this question. Aren't you ready to reelect the 47th president of the United States of America? Sure that Joe Biden will never be president. 
It begins what is undoubtedly the most efficient and electric Trump event that I had ever attended. It shows me that Donald Trump's connection with his audience is stronger than it's ever been. And it was only getting started. We get to the rest of it after the break. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you would like to support this show, support the fact that I'm out on the road. I didn't even get credentialed this time. (laughs) I didn't even get credentialed. I'm not even here as the media. I'm literally just here for you. I'm not even a media man. I'm just an interested party representing you. And if you support that, if you would like to subsidize that, well, then now's the time. We got a lot of news coming out, and uh, it's only going to get more intense between now and November. You're going to want that bonus episode on Thursday. You're going to want that bonus episode on Monday. And it all comes to you for a very, very low price of three bucks a week, less than a price of a cup of coffee. And uh, guys, in in our modern inflationary age on the road, three bucks for a cup of coffee is uh, cheap. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into some of the stories that have no relevancy to the Trump rally. Over 150 progressive groups have united in cautioning President Joe Biden against adopting strict immigration policies similar to those of the Trump era. This coalition, comprising 
International, national, state, local, and faith-based organizations expressed their disapproval in a letter highlighting proposed actions like an asylum ban between U.S. ports of entry. The letter, revealed by Politico, echoes criticism from the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, condemning the use of immigrant communities as a political tool. The group firmly warns that replicating past administration strategies will not only fail, but also inflict significant harm and irreparable damage. This backlash comes amid reports that the White House is considering several executive actions and regulations, signaling a notable shift in Biden's stance on immigration, potentially alienating key party supporters. Biden's contemplation of these measures has sparked criticism from left-wing factions, accusing him of reneging on promises to diverge from his predecessor's policies and restore asylum access. Among the contemplated actions are stricter asylum criteria and expedited deportations for those not meeting those standards. The administration spokesperson, Angelo Fernandez Hernandez, acknowledged the necessity of congressional involvement for substantial immigration reform and border security funding. As Biden prepares for the upcoming State of the Union address, decisions on these policies, including the contentious asylum ban, remain pending. Immigration advocates urge the president to adopt a humane approach focusing on orderly processing and support for asylum seekers rather than adopting deterrent policies that historically have caused significant human suffering, according to the group. Boy, Biden is finding himself in a lot of fights with his left wing flank. First Gaza, and now this. The difference is the situation in Gaza might be different by November. The border isn't. And right now, the border, even amongst independents and some Democrats, is up into being a top one, two, or three issue. Biden is going to have to deal with this on some level. The question is... How much can he get away with on his left while essentially telling them, and also you're still going to hold your nose? Cell phone data analysis has sparked controversy in the case against former President Trump, implicating Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. Compiled by an investigator for Trump's legal team, the analysis suggests Wade visited Willis's condo at least 35 times before their acknowledged relationship began, challenging their testimony about its timeline. The revelation is central to Trump's attempt to dismiss the historic election racketeering indictment, alleging a conflict of interest due to Willis and Wade's romantic involvement. Despite acknowledging their relationship, Willis's office denies any conflict by saying, that they got together after Willis hired Wade. The judge presiding over the case is set to consider these allegations, particularly scrutinizing when Willis and Wade's romance actually started. Defense attorneys claim it began before Wade's hiring on November 1st, 2021, a point contested by Willis and Wade, who maintain it started in early 2022. The investigator, Charles Middlestadt, utilized Cellhawk, to analyze Wade's 2021 phone data, revealing 35 instances of his phone being near Willis's condo, contradicting their testimonies. This analysis also showed 12,000 interactions between Willis and Wade, including over 2,000 phone calls. If Judge Scott McAfee finds evidence of perjury in their testimonies, it could lead to their disqualification from the landmark case, highlighting potential conflicts of interest in these high-stakes legal proceedings. 
This, friends, is big news because the Trump legal team specifically asked Nathan Wade if phone data suggested that he were at Fonnie Willis's condo when he says he wasn't, would it be wrong? And he said, yes, it would be. I don't know if he knew then that they actually had the goods, but they have the goods now. I still remain skeptical that this is going to be tossed. I'm going to wait until I read some more legal scholar uh, uh, stuff on this, but from my layman's opinion, a woof. And finally, Google's Gemini AI tool faced backlash this week for generating images that deviated from historical accuracy and representation. The controversy arose when Gemini produced pictures of black founding fathers, a female pope, and gay couples in response to prompts for straight couples. This issue highlights the ongoing challenge for AI developers in balancing bias and maintaining accuracy. Critics, including Elon Musk and various right-wing media, labeled these uh, outputs as, quote, racist and anti-civilizational. Google acknowledged the problem, admitting that Gemini was not meeting expectations and temporarily halted its human image generation feature. Google's senior vice president, Parakam Raghavan, stated that while they cannot guarantee error-free outputs, they are committed to addressing the issues as they arise. The dilemma reflects a broader issue in AI development the challenge of creating tools that neither perpetuate biases nor distort historical or factual accuracy. Past AI missteps, such as all-white male CEO portraits and inappropriate racial classifications, underscore the difficulty of training AI on human-generated data, which inherently carries bias. There is a distinction that AI's capacity to provide diverse responses for general queries versus its ability to accurately represent historical context. The AI industry is working toward a more nuanced and socially sensitive models, but critics argue that AI fundamentally lacks understanding, suggesting that significant advancements are necessary to resolve these issues. This was an embarrassment for Gemini and an embarrassment for Google. Quite simply, in my opinion, from how I understand this technology, Google put in fine-tuning to the model that was designed to avoid bias. The problem is, is that they red-teamed, i.e. tried to create embarrassing photos only one way. So they made sure that if you said, show me a picture of CEOs or a picture of leaders, that they made sure that there were people other than white men that showed up there. Unfortunately, they did not do the kind of stuff that wound up happening after this became famous, like show me a bunch of 17th century English kings eating watermelon, which showed a bunch of black people eating watermelon. This is the kind of stuff that you want to red team for so it doesn't happen. But in my opinion, if you've got the wrong people that are only thinking that bad things can happen one way, then you leave yourself open to issues like this. And that's your update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, 
If you support independent journalism that will not be stopped by anyone getting you the scoop, then head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Burns is followed up in quick succession by two heavy hitters who are speaking very early in this program. In fact, the Winthrop Coliseum is only about a third filled when Marjorie Taylor Greene and Florida Representative Byron Donalds both speak. tomorrow, you're going to be the voice of the American people that's going to tell the Washington, D.C. establishment that we want President Trump back at the White House. Now, you know what else is important to say? You're going to be delivering the message. You're delivering the message that we are not going to nor elect a presidential candidate that is delusional about her chances of becoming president. Am I right? You're going to get the message to Washington, D.C. that you will not be supporting your former governor, who is the Democrat rubber-stamped presidential candidate in the Republican primary.
on in the, in the, in the arena today that I was going to shout them out. And they're going to send a message to the entire United States of America that Donald Trump is going to be the 47th president of the United States. speeches, aside from cutting out the time in the middle. They spoke for about three minutes and 30 seconds each. This was going to be on time, and nobody was going to go long. By the way, a benefit of general admission over the press pen is uh, concessions. I got up, and I got popcorn and water. To know a Trump rally 
is to know American populism. The will of the people. On their terms. By the time that 350 rolls around with Trump promised at the top of the hour, the crowd begins showing each other pictures of local Highway 21 being shut down for the big man's impending arrival. An unedited version of Kid Rock's American Badass plays. Look up the lyrics. The song before it was opera. Half of this crowd is evangelical. This is the nexus of politics and culture. This is a Trump rally. You know, I didn't get a chance to see Obama speak live at his peak in 2008 or Bill Clinton in 1992. But watching clips of those politicians, there was a lyricism to their speeches, a rhetorical ride, engrossing and empowering. But for these folks... These 6,000 people in Rock Hill, South Carolina, poetry is a distraction from what you really mean. It's word salad, elegantly arranged and expertly dressed. But their man, Donald, is not a verbal vegetarian. Trump has the meats. And uh, 
I said, let's talk about the border. They said, sir, nobody cares about the border because you've solved the problem. I said, no, don't they want to listen? So I talked about the border. Nobody cared about the border because we solved the problem. But we were in here at the beginning of 2016 in the same arena in January of 2016. Think of that. And uh, so I guess it's a lucky arena. And we're going to see it. of your entire life. And honestly, we're not very worried about tomorrow. We want to aim toward a time called November 5th. That's what we need, November 5th. <laughs> uh, if look at Joe Biden, if it's going to be him, I don't know if he's going to make it to the start of this. I don't know about that, Henry. He's going to make it to the start of Henry would know. Has he been a great governor, by the way? <laughs> and I did you a big favor. But we're going to have a gigantic victory here in South Carolina. We're going to show Crooked Joe Biden and the radical left Democrats that we are coming like a great train in November. Nikki Haley is relying on Democrats and liberals. You know, Democrats are financing her campaign. One of her biggest supporters is a radical left Democrat who made some money with the internet. Very uh, bad guy, actually, but he's a Democrat. And those are the ones putting up money because they damage us. The biggest supporters he's got right now are the Biden supporters, the Biden bundlers, the Biden cheaters. They're the ones that are doing the ultra-left to meddle in this primary, and I think they're going to try and end it. Who the hell wants Democrats voting in a Republican primary? What is that about? What is that about? Don't worry, you're going to swamp them. They're going to swamp them. It's important that we do. By the way, it's important. we're going to do great tomorrow, but it's really important you get out and vote because we want to send a signal to the real, the real hardline people, the people that are destroying our country, Joe Biden. We're going to send him a signal that we're coming. We're going to send him a big So Get out tomorrow. If you don't feel well, don't worry about it. Get up. Get out. If your husband's not feeling good, darling, I'm just not. Just get him out of bed. Don't worry about it. Get out of vote. Tomorrow we're going to win this state, and then we're going to tell Crooked Joe Biden, you're fired. Get out. Economics, which is a very negative term. You know, he heard the term, he loved it. Oh, that's good. That's a really negative term. <laughs> and we will reinstate Maganomics. <laughs> and we will bring our country back from hell. Our country has been through hell. When you think about what happened in Afghanistan, all the things that took place. 
election death. You know what that is? You can't get elected. When this stuff comes out, and you think they treat me bad, and they do. They're horrible people. These people are sick. They're sick. I've been indicted more than Alphonse Capone, the great guy. I got indicted. My parents are looking down. They're saying, I never thought this could happen to my son. He's been indicted. I didn't know what the hell the word indicted. And it all took place instantly. If I fly over a blue state, the next day I get a federal grand jury notice. <laughs> and they indicted me on bullshit. It's all Trump was in a very, very, very good mood. Donald Trump is extraordinarily excited to be in this race. Donald Trump is excited to vanquish Nikki Haley. Donald Trump feels that with his connection to that crowd, he is unstoppable. Nikki Haley is not in this race to fight for you. She's in the bidding for big donors, or maybe she wants to get a contract on CNN. You know, they, do you see their ratings? Uh-oh, they're going to CNN cameras on. dismissed his biggest vulnerability. The fact that by the time election day starts, he could be a convicted felon and indeed continued to move his narrative forward, convinced that it's working, that that would be a badge of honor, that he is a political prisoner that everything you hear about his situation is just the wailing and wheezing of a machine that desperately wants to keep him out. Strategically, he also took a big step forward. He talked about IVF. If you've not followed this story, The Supreme Court of Alabama ruled that somebody mishandling IVF samples, and if you're unfamiliar with that term, it is in vitro fertilization for couples that cannot conceive naturally. IVF is a way to get them pregnant. You take the sperm and uh, surgically put it into the uh, 
woman. I will leave the rest of the science to your own Googling. But the mishandling of the sample was ruled by the Alabama Supreme Court as the loss of a life. This was sprung on by the Biden administration, saying that it was only because of Roe versus Wade being overturned, something that Donald Trump has crowed about, that this is the case. And a sign that Republicans, given more power, specifically Donald Trump, would continue to move the ball backwards, restricting women's health and doing broadly unpopular things like chilling IVF, something that has happened in Alabama since the Supreme Court ruling as clinics don't want to be on the hook for murder. It was today that Donald Trump said he is against this and that he is directing the Alabama state legislature to fix it. That includes, and you saw this, it was a big deal over the last few days, that includes supporting the availability of fertility treatments like IVF in every state in America. You can see, you can see Alabama, got a big story, like the overwhelming majority of Americans, including the vast majority of Republican, conservatives, Christians, and pro-life Americans, I strongly support the availability of IVF for couples who are trying to have a precious little beautiful baby. And today I'm calling on the Alabama legislature to act quickly to find an immediate solution to preserve the availability of IVF in Alabama. I'm sure they're going to do that. The Republican Party should always be on the side of the miracle of life and the side of mothers and fathers and beautiful IBM is an important part of that and our great Republican Party will always be with you. We're always going to be with you in your quest to find that ultimate joy in life. You know, the ultimate joy in life is a beautiful, healthy, wonderful baby. So we are with you, and I wanted you to know that. And a lot of Republicans call me. I put that message out on a, a thing called Truth Social. I said, everybody, is Social's hot. But we put it out a little while ago, and a lot of people called up. A lot of politicians called up. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And uh, that's the way we feel. So we're going to be with you all the way, and uh, you're going to see things we want to we want to help. I mean, it's a very big subject, frankly, very complicated, and very big. But we're with you all the way, and I think there are a lot of happy people in this room. Most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But thank you. It is quite simply the strength of the Trump campaign that. We have yet to see unfurled. Donald Trump is not an ideologue on abortion. Donald Trump wanted to put favorable Supreme Court justices, and he will take credit from the evangelical right for overturning Roe versus Wade, but he is not Ted Cruz. 
He is not Mike Huckabee. He is not Mike Pence. He is not an evangelical. I have long believed that Donald Trump has a lot of wiggle room on abortion. But I think everybody, especially during the Republican primary, is a little bit wary of exactly how far they can move without losing support. But Donald Trump not only taking the IVF issue off the table, but doing so forcefully is a calculated move to try to make him less scary to those that are rightly terrified of a post-Roe world, not only for access to abortion, but also to women's health broadly. And let's remember that it was women in the suburbs that sank Trump in 2020. If anything, from my seats, the only downside for Donald Trump after this event is he might be peaking too early because the crowd that I saw was ready to vote bigly. Politics, 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 live from Columbia, South Carolina, is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio. You can find us on TikTok, Justin R. Young, Instagram, Justin R. Young, YouTube at Politics, 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 on Twitter at px 3 Tweets the Show, Justin R. Young for me, and on Twitch, px 3 Live. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. And you can email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. If you would like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20, and our cash app is px3cash. You can send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. If you want to get our bonus content, well, the only way that you can do that is heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. At the $3 tier, you get two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we missed on our free podcasting schedule. And you get that and your name read at the end of the show at the Titanic $10 tier, including these fine folks, Sam, John, D. Meister, Edwin, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Brian. Edison, Jeremy, dog named Trickers, Sarah Jeannie, Spider, Matthew, Dr. G, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick, just another pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, Halo, D, really, Andrew, Lisa, Fat Tony's PJs from New York, Devon, the CFP, Gloria Young, my mom, Gray Zone, Robert, Jay, Neil, The Old Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Neil, His Nerdiness Charles, Audrey Stole Adler's Spot, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's Delightful Demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, 
Casey, Paul. That's it. Join the ranks. Head on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Thank you to everybody for sending me to South Carolina. It means the world. You know, I, when I when I got rejected from the the credential, I was beating myself up a little bit. And I was like, well, you know, I want to make sure that I always do a good job for you guys. Because you guys put me out here. And um, I think we did it today. And I hope to keep doing it, especially throughout this election. So, till next time, friends. Hope to see you guys in South Carolina tomorrow on Saturday for the election results at the uh, British Bulldog Pub in Columbia. But a reminder, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but this is the only program that dares discuss. Oh! Oh! Three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.